Luke 13, and we're starting at verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrite! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stool and lead it out and give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. Uh, This is going to be a sermon about great news. And if you want to know how to react to great news, look at Nigel and Gillian's face. You can find out for yourself. Grab them afterwards. Find out what they're celebrating. But let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that in that passage you see us, you see you setting us free. Thank you that there is redemption for every affliction. And just help us now, as we look at your word, to capture some of that excitement and joy that the folk had at the time when they saw that. Amen. So, uh, there's our our working title for this evening, Freedom and Foliage. Uh, We'll explain that later on. Uh, But last week, if you remember, Ben was telling us of the need to repent. That we need to say sorry to God for the way we treat him. And we need to put our trust in Jesus. Very true. That's only half the story. What happens when I do that? What's on offer? Well, that's what this passage is about, really. This tells us what happens, what we receive, what it means to put our trust in the Lord Jesus. And it tells us that the Christian life is about freedom And it's about foliage. Uh, And we're going to spend most of our time thinking about freedom, but we'll we'll come on to the foliage later. So it's Luke 13. If you've got a church Bible, do open it up. Whatever you use, uh, do follow where we're going. Context is important. Uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And we know why he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to die there for us on the cross. Uh, And this is his last one. 
And people are excited. People expect that Jesus is going to start a a revolution. He thinks he's going to raise an army like the Maccabees did and other folk in in the old days. Uh, uh, And he's going to throw out the Western powers, which is the Romans. uh, And Israel will be kingdom of God. That is what the Bible seemed to promise them. That was their reading of what they should expect. What they expected was very like what we're seeing at the moment in Afghanistan. And if you want to see what sense of excitement that gathers, don't read the Western press, but go to Al Jazeera and see how excited they are about this apparent kingdom of a false god being established in Afghanistan. But that was the idea. The kingdom of God was coming. So people then had the wrong idea about what the kingdom of God was all about. And of course, people still do. And maybe we do, because maybe we all kind of would rather like this to happen. Some sort of godly takeover in, in, in the same sort of way. But this passage is going to tell us about what the kingdom of God is really about. And it's about freedom. Freedom is one of the great themes of the Old Testament. That's the obvious one, isn't it? If you're going to go and see Prince of Egypt in in London, uh, you'll certainly get that message through uh, from the story of Exodus, uh, right through, for instance, to Isaiah. And Isaiah, of course, is how Jesus kicks off his ministry. Luke chapter 4, when he quotes Isaiah, and he says, I have come to proclaim freedom. Christians are to be free. We are designed to be free. We are the freest people on earth. And we live when we live in God's kingdom, when we live under God's rule, we are able to enjoy that freedom. So let's get into this passage, see how that works, because that's what Jesus is illustrating. Uh, we're in verses 10 to 16 in particular. And in those verses, Jesus is giving freedom at virtually every level you can think of. It, it, it's physical and it's social and it's spiritual. But all of that is focused on this one person, isn't it? In verse 11. There's this woman, we don't know her name, but can you see that she is not free in so many ways? In fact, Jesus implies, really, in in verse 15, that she's in a worse state than a tied-up donkey. And if you want to think, how was she not free? In what way was she not free? You can go through it. First off, she's a woman. Now, if you were to go to any, no, not the liberal, if you go to two of the synagogues in Brighton now, you will see this absolutely worked out in practice, that the women are put to one side, put to the back, kept out of the mainstream of the worship uh, in the synagogue. And that, that reflected their position in society. So she's disadvantaged starkly, firstly, by being a woman. And then, to make it worse, she's clearly very ill, badly crippled, bent double, it says, doesn't it? 
very often a sign of God's judgment. You must have done something wrong. That was something um, Ben touched on last week, wasn't it? You must have done something wrong. You must have upset God to be in that state. And to make it worse... She's bent completely double. Now, I did wonder whether at this point I should try and touch my toes, but I can't even reach my knees, so I won't even try and illustrate it. But if you can touch your toes, try and hold that position for 18 years. It's astonishing, isn't it? And therefore, she's absolutely useless. What good are you if you're bent double? You can't can't help in society, you can't do anything, you can't meet people, you can't talk to them. She's ill, and she's useless. And although she clearly has some faith, Jesus calls her a daughter of Abraham, verse 16, and although she's got to the synagogue, despite all those difficulties, that may be a lesson to us, even though that's happened, verse 11, we see that she's spiritually oppressed as well. This isn't just a physical thing. There's a spiritual oppression going on here as well. Jesus reinforces that. Look at verse 16, that she has been bound by Satan. So this woman is a sort of Wikipedia of captivity, socially, physically, spiritually. She's in bondage. There wasn't a single aspect of her life that isn't affected. She's a sort of picture of the human condition. And yet what happens is that Jesus brings freedom. All that mess. Back to verse 10. Can you see? It's the Sabbath. Uh, Stephen's already talked about that. Jesus is the guest speaker. Now the synagogue's job was to teach the law. You went to the temple to do your sacrifices and your grand worship, but how did you keep everybody on the straight and narrow if they couldn't get to the temple? Well, you had the synagogue, and you went there, and the main job there was the leadership was to make sure you followed the religious law. That was the only way you were going to be holy. That was the only way the kingdom of God was ever going to come. You had to follow the law, and the synagogue was there to drum it into you. And wow, we've got this guest speaker, and he's a complete, uh, uh, what's the word I want, famous, celeb, that's the word. Uh, it's a real celeb, and he's come to the front, and he is going to teach the law, because that's what people do. And of course, it's what other religions do. If you go out of a Christian faith, you talk to any other religion, they will teach you law, what you have to do. Well, it's a waste of time, isn't it? We know that. This lady, like all of us, she can't do anything. It's very obvious she can't do anything. All she can do is receive. That's what happens. Verse 12, Jesus sees her, calls her to the front, and he simply says, you see those words, you are set free from your infirmity. And immediately... I think Lizzie emphasized very helpfully. Immediately, she straightens up and praises God. 18 years of suffering is reversed at one touch of the creator. She allows herself to be touched by Jesus. 
And that changes everything. And can you see that from that point in, everything has changed in her life. Her her physical condition has healed. That means her social situation has just got a whole lot better. She can function as a proper human being. But also her spiritual condition has changed. And you know, that is the whole point of this. That's what this is all pointing to. Because we know that Jesus heals, he does then, and he still does now. And we know that Jesus' touch on our lives nearly always makes our situation in this world better. But but those are just pointers to what's really going on here. Because what's really going on here is that this lady has been restored to a right relationship with God. You see, when Jesus touched her, she was set free in the deepest way possible. She was suddenly able to stand tall before God and praise him. And generally speaking, where we see physical healing or or, or, or miraculous releases in some way or another, that is the reason, that is the result. It will result in standing up tall and praising God. Now, I don't know how you relate to all this. Not many of us are as physically uh, disabled as this lady is. But there are plenty of things that we all know we are oppressed over, aren't we? It might be a, a health issue. Uh, for some of it's physical, some of it's, it's mental. Uh, for many of us right now, it'll be social we will feel oppressed. Maybe what we read about ourselves uh, on, on social media or whatever. But whatever it is, what's happening here is people are seeing that Jesus' touch can be an answer to these things. We can be set free from these things if we go to the Lord. And that may be something we need to re-engage with in our own lives and say, I've just accepted this sort of stuff that's oppressing me. I just haven't really challenged it. And we need to say, Jesus' touch can set us free. Perhaps we need to talk to a friend. Perhaps we need to discuss it in, in, in our small groups. But we need to go to the Lord with these things and ask him for our help. And we know, though, don't we, that sometimes we take these things through life. And actually, maybe the only release sometimes will be in death. But those pressures will not go through to eternity. But the most important freedom here, the one that will go through to eternity, is that one of being able to stand tall and praise God. That is the freedom that we are designed for. You know, uh, you flick through the weekend magazines, you go online, whatever. There are all sorts of exciting freedoms that the world will offer you. Tonight, on adverts or whatever. You, you know, the freedom, freedom to travel. Uh, the freedom to meet millions uh, of friends. Actually, I think distressingly, the freedom even to decide what gender you are now. Can I just say those are all false freedoms? That's the whole world's idea of freedom. It's not what we were designed for. I've got 
40 goldfish. Actually, one died the other day. 39 goldfish. If I want to set them free, my grandchildren are very good at hiking them out of the pond. I don't then take them up onto the downs, pat them on the fin, and say, off you go. That is not freedom for my goldfish. I mean, maybe a bigger pond or a lake. They are designed to be in a certain environment. The freedom of the downs for the goldfish would kill them. And it's true for us too. We need the right place to exercise our freedom. And that freedom is as friends with God. This is how Tozer put it. That's great. It's a bit bit long, but there we go. As Christians, let's get rid of the goldfish. As Christians, we are free from the chains of sin, free from the moral consequences of our evil acts, now forgiven, free from the curse of the law and the displeasure of God. God has opened the door for us. And like Barabbas of old, we walk at liberty because another has died in our stead. It's great, isn't it? God has opened the door for us. And like Barabbas of old, we walk at liberty because another has died in our stead. So the question that the New Testament goes on to talk about is, well, is that unqualified freedom? Can I love God and do what I like? And of course, we know the answer is no. That wasn't God's design from the beginning, was it? Even in Adam and Eve, uh, uh, in the story of Adam and Eve and creation, uh, Eden is bounded by rivers. There are boundaries. And back to this passage, Jesus is going to show us that we use that freedom in obedience. Any teenager will know that if you want a peaceable, decent relationship with your mum and dad, you do as you're told. That's how a relationship works with your heavenly, with your parent. And it's the same with our heavenly parent. We obey God because we love him. Now, look how that works here. Verse 14. The synagogue leadership don't like what's happened. This leader, he, he was like the church wardens. This is, this is Jeff Payne telling us what to do. Uh, or the other warden. And, uh, So he says to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not the Sabbath. And he's absolutely right. You can read it in a number of verses, actually. Leviticus 23.3, God says, we are not to work on the Sabbath. So the leader's quoting the Bible, so it must be right. But he's twisting it, isn't he? He's misusing it. You look at this, nobody has worked on the Sabbath. Very difficult to spot anybody who's done any work. And even if they had, Jesus says, look at verse 15, some situations, it's merciful to work on the Sabbath. Giving water to your donkey, 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 donkey or rocks. So, so this response from the leader might have sounded super spiritual and very biblical, but it was not God's freedom that he wants us to enjoy. It isn't the freedom that God offers us in his word. So it's important to see this. Jesus is not saying here, well, we can ignore the Bible. Verse 15 and 16, he's telling us to use it properly. And that is why we take the Bible seriously. We don't 
twist it. We don't make it suit our particular arguments or our particular uh, situation. We use it as he intended. And then, James 2, for instance, says God's word is our law of freedom. It's when we're living out our lives obeying God's will. That's why the psalm says then his law revives our soul. Doesn't crush it. So Jesus is is acting out. He's showing us what freedom is like. And it's very exciting. If we actually get hold of that. Look at verse 17. The people understood it. They were delighted. Hmm, can't see many delighted faces in front of me. Now, I know we're British, but we have lost, haven't we? That sense of excitement of what the Lord Jesus has done for us. Uh, You know, we get excited about the Albion starting their season well, or a great tennis performance, or even a day of sunshine. But are we excited about what Jesus has done? I wonder whether... You know, at BH, we just need to ask the Holy Spirit to rekindle that excitement, to rediscover that excitement that these felt, these people felt in Luke 13. Because actually, the next little section, oh, there's the boundary, there we are, never mind. Um, the next little section, where we start talking about foliage, Jesus is assuming that we're gonna get overexcited. And he's saying, well, hang on a minute. You need to just understand exactly how the kingdom of heaven is going to work. By the way, verse 18, you can see, starts with the word, uh, therefore, then. You might have then in your version, or therefore, perhaps a slightly better version, better translation. That is linking the two. That is why Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven now, because he's just been illustrating it uh, earlier. And so he has these two stories, and they both have the same point, really. They are telling us that we can trust that God's kingdom is growing. Even if it's not always dramatic and exciting, even if people aren't being healed in front of us quite so dramatically, nonetheless, we can trust that God's kingdom is growing. And that's really important, isn't it? Because we all go through ups and downs. Judith and I were at uh, Alfriston the other day, remembering the, the, um, the uh, they call it the Holy Spirit weekend, don't they, with Alpha uh, a couple of years ago. What a fantastic time we had. And you have these sort of pinnacle moments, don't you? And then it feels a bit less exciting. And that was exactly the experience the disciples were going to have. They were going to have the excitement of the resurrection. And they were going to have Jesus appearing to them and picnics with him. Uh, and then we were going to have Pentecost. And then we have hundreds of people coming to know him, and then it gets a bit more routine for a while. And Jesus doesn't want us to lose heart. When we leave those mountaintop experiences, when we think, well, what is God really at work anymore? He says, yep, the kingdom is still growing. And he says it's growing in two ways. He says it's growing like a tree. Maybe very slowly, but it's very visible And this is something about external growth, that the kingdom is always growing. I think one of the things we can be careful of is that we tend to say, well, the church isn't doing very well in the UK, but it is growing in China, or it is growing in Africa, 
But actually, that's not quite what Jesus says. He just says it is always growing slowly and steadily. If we see China and Africa go into decline, even if one person in the whole world every year turns to Christ, then the kingdom is still growing. And we can trust that to be the case because that's what Jesus is saying here. And then his second example, uh, that is supposed to be moving, but I don't think it is. But you can now fixate on it and try and see whether it is moving or not. Um, but that's the yeast uh, in the bread, isn't it? Um, I get my bread from Aldi, 36p for a white loaf, very good value. Um, but I know some of you have got your bread makers at home, which is much cleverer than I can handle. And you can smell the yeast doing its stuff and the bread rising And that's an internal work. The tree is growing externally. You can see the tree growing. But the yeast is working inside our lives. So instead of looking at China, this is looking at you and me. Each one of us, a chance just to look inside ourselves and ask ourselves a tough question. Are we growing? Folk at BH, is the yeast still at work in your lives? Compare yourself to a year ago. Where is the biblical fruit? Where is the working of the biblical gifts in your life? Can you, can you reflect on a year and say, yes, that yeast has been at work in my life? Because, you know, if the yeast is working in your life, then the mustard tree will grow. If the yeast is making the loaf rise, then there will be more foliage. So we're not to worry. If we don't see the kingdom growing, obviously, hugely, dramatically, if things aren't going very excitingly, Jesus says, don't worry. The yeast is still working in the dough. And the tree is still growing. Let's wrap up. Jesus proclaims freedom. That is what the kingdom of God is all about. It's freedom to stand before God without fear, free from the consequences of our action. And we can stand sure if we live in obedience to him, knowing that more people will come to him and that his kingdom will grow. As I was preparing this, um, I read Psalm 146. Uh, so I just thought there were some great little verses here, some extracts from it, that I will read and then hand back to Stephen. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord.